Good morning, good morning, Cable Smith. Welcome everybody into episode 567 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Little Merrill Ray kicking things off for us, dancing hard, the name of that one. A great tune there. Thank you so much for being here, as there is no place I'd rather be than right here, talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. So got a great show lined up for you today and i'm going to tell you all about it but before we do that you know what to do pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat up old stanley thermos that granddaddy passed down years ago probably still got that mud caked on it certainly from this duck season um possibly from four five six who knows ten a dozen years i don't ever wash the outside of mine uh, barely rinse out the old coffee from the inside. It's kind of like a cast iron skillet. It just gives it character and flavor. But hey, hey, maybe you're a neat freak. Maybe that grosses you out. However, if you're spending time in the duck blind, you're probably not a neat freak because that's a dirty place. <laughs> Wet dogs, smell of gunpowder, and farts and mud everywhere, smell of liquor oozing out of the pores of that one hunting buddy who drank way too much the night before. You know who he is in your crew. We've all got one. <laughs> but anyway, here's what's on the docket for today. Special in-studio guest, our old friend, Corey Knowlton, will drop by for the duration. We've got a ton to get into. And when it comes to big game hunting, there are literally are few people on this planet that have been to more countries and hunted more species than Corey. Um... He's pretty much done it all and, and has not only taken animals all over the world, but, but guided and booked hunts as well. Uh, and we'll have, we'll have him start off by recounting the worst hunting experience that he's ever had. I think it occurred in the mountains of Tajikistan, uh, but you talk about the trots and just horrible food and the overall experience looking back on it years later is one that he can laugh about but not so funny at the time uh, i think you guys will have a good laugh at his expense though uh, we'll talk uh, trophy hunting has the community hunting community gone soft um what about y'all all know Corey is the six five creedmoor meme master uh, so we'll talk about the six five and just keep in mind that I have a 6.5 as well, but I'd certainly appreciate the humor. And uh, I do think it's weird just how entrenched the 6.5 fraternity is. They they really love their caliber. Uh, eh, me, I'm just kind of like, mm, meh, whatever. Not my favorite caliber. Uh, although, it, it, you know, certainly a lot of you guys feel differently. Uh, Corey certainly feels <laughs> very strongly about it. And uh, I'm looking forward to having him I'm not going to call it a rant, but we'll see where that goes uh, on all things 6.5 Creedmoor. Uh, we'll also talk international travel, what it looks like during COVID. Uh, Corey was one of the first folks I noticed to resume international travel after the initial pandemic started to die down. What about flying with 
firearms. That's something people always seem to have a lot of questions about. And it's hard to get a straight answer from the airlines. I, I'm dealing with that right now with Cutter. Um, what do I need to do to take my my Cape Buffalo gun to uh, South Africa next week? Uh, hard to get a straight answer these days. Uh, but it's all about a mindset, which I think we'll get into coming up here in a little bit as well. So we'll be all over the map with Corey. Uh, certainly looking forward to having him drop by the studio. Let's do this. Um, let's do a quick giveaway. SCI recently sent me over a box of caps and a myriad of colors. We've got stickers and even a uh, an SCI Foundation hunting vest. This thing is pretty cool. And I actually was going to take it to South Africa with me, but it's a 2XL. So I figure one of you guys could put this thing to better use. It's going to swallow me. Uh, so let's do just email first for hunters. That's first for hunters for SCI. That's their slogan. Uh, but email that. And uh, if you're not a 2X, I'll sub it out for a uh, Lone Star Outdoor Show t-shirt. So just email first for hunters to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Let's knock out a quick break. When we come back, Corey Knowlton, our old pal with a lot to say, drops by right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hey guys, Cable here for QuietCat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. QuietCat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a QuietCat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, QuietCat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Damn straight, damn John, damn all you smooth country cowboys. Mike and the Moon Pies bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, we are all set to check in with our longtime friend and renowned big game hunter, Corey Knowlton. But before we dive headfirst into that conversation, this segment of the show brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. You can check out their entire lineup of feeders and blinds like the Big Chingone, Henry's favorite, uh, the blind that he shot his first deer out of this fall, actually. Uh, but you can find it all right there at allseasonsfeeders.com. And with that being said, uh, 
Joining me now in studio, it is my pleasure to welcome our old pal, Corey Knowlton, to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's really good to be here. I don't get to McKinney as often as I should. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's beautiful out here today, though. Yeah, it is nice. It's nice. Uh, we've had a lot of great conversations over the years. This is the first time, though, you have made it to the studio. We've taped... Uh, stuff at various trade shows over the phone i think the first one we did was you had shot this monster buck like back yeah, in your own yes, county and this yes. was like right when uh dallas yes. rockwall and collin county all opened opened up for uh, archery hunting again yes and that was like one of the first times i really uh when i was accused of everything under the sun of yeah right so ridiculous but i thought it was cool i don't what year was that 2012, 13? Yeah, somewhere in there. So that was like right when wireless trail cameras were like becoming popular. And you see where they are now. Uh, like, I, I think I maybe got one a year after that. And it was like, okay, now I have to sell my son to afford the data plan and the camera itself. And yeah. now they're like 180 bucks for a, you know. I, I, I wish I one. could say I was at the forefront, but somebody gave me the idea. Well, so you were one of the first folks I, I noticed resume international travel after the initial pandemic died down what was the first place that, that you guys went um the first place i went as soon as i could went, go was the beach <laughs> we went to as a family trip to turks and caicos yeah then uh and that was even really that was real strange because you know we i go bone fishing there and uh and um have a little boat there and when we uh when we go, we go, and, and, and it's usually, you know, you usually get out on a boat and you see a few other boats or whatever. It was like there was no one. I felt like castaway there. As soon as we got out, I was lo looking for Wilson. It, there, was, there, there, there was nothing out there. So the fishing was good. The fishing was phenomenal. Um, if you were trying to make friends, the Islanders were scared of you, and there was nobody else to talk to. So you better have somebody that loved you there. You were pretty lonely. So but the Islanders are thinking, oh, gosh, these Americans are bringing me COVID. It was 100% that. Wow. I hate to say that, but that's yeah. what it was. They were scared, and I don't blame them. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you've gone back to Africa uh, as well. Where did you guys go? Um, first, uh, I've been, I went to Zambia. Mm -hmm. and I went to Zimbabwe, and uh, I went to Namibia. Okay. And when when that travel initially resumed, is it like it is now? Where I, So I, I'm leaving, uh, like I told you, off there in a couple of weeks for South Africa. I got to get a um, COVID test before I go, and it's the, uh, what is it, the PRC? PCR. PCR. PRC is that that round that you're a big fan. That's of. right. Yeah, it's, that that one's not the bad one, I don't think. Uh, but did you guys have to do all that stuff initially? Yeah, there was there was uh, well, d different countries required different things. Mm -hmm. Like Turks and Caicos, we had to. You had to show up with it. Um, then then it was different requirements along the way. But to be safe, I absolutely we all did them before we left. And uh, we had to provide it, like in Zambia, if I remember correctly, and in Zimbabwe. You know, one of the things that helped us on those places is just have a concierge-type guy to meet you there mm -hmm. and walk you through that. Uh, you know, I don't know what they charge us. It was like $50 a person, $100 a person to walk you through that mm -hmm. process. So it's not as nerve-wracking. They just grab you and took you to the front of the line and kind of gave you a little VIP thing. 
Yeah. And, and, um, you know, it's one of those things where everybody's looking at you like you're jealous or something. <laughs> you know, it's like, what, what's happening with him? I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, they took us, uh, took us back and got us right through. It was, that part was really pretty easy. The, the different thing was riding on the plane and keeping the mask on most of the time, you know, all those times because those were two separate trips and a long, long way over there, as you well know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm, I, I think I've got to send my travel agent the test uh, like once I get it back, which has to be 72 hours before you take off and then she'll you know, have someone meet us there and have it all sorted out. So I guess kind of the same deal. Similar. Yep. Yeah. So I, I think it's probably going to be well, way down the road better than when I went. I mean, back then you're talking, you know, the first time was kind of there in, in the early spring. Right. Yeah. And then, or no, no, in the summer and then late summer, they still didn't really, know what they were dealing with or the documents you just showed them papers they looked at it and you know hmm. and, and some people for instance they're they're scanning your temperature well you're walking around the airport you know a lot of these people are were you know it's the summer it's the summer when they left they're dressed up and they get in there and they 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 get there they're cold they're putting on their warm clothes because winter in africa they're walking around yeah. now they're freaking 99 degrees and all of a sudden you got you know the, the gestapo standing around you <laughs> They actually had a fan over there that they would put on people. Huh. They'd go stand, stand over by the fan, give it a minute, come back. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh, man. Um, well, you know, I don't think it's going to be too long before the, the Biden administration makes us all get a vaccine for any type of international travel. You know, hunting aside, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. But my wife just actually got uh, the second round, and, and so she's had COVID. And, uh, it, dude, that shot made her feel like she had COVID again for two days. Uh, really makes me want to go get it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, if you think about all the things, I don't know what you've been vaccinated for, but in my life I've been vaccinated for nearly everything. And, you know, typhoid, yellow mm. fever, all those things usually don't feel too hot. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that I, I don't know what they're going to do. If, I think if you know what the Biden administration is going to do, you know more than what they do. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the, the kind of the opinion I get just from looking at how I mean, he signs I, I, all I, those executive I, orders. What am I signing? I don't even know. I, I, I say that I say that jokingly. You know, I, I mean, I, who knows? Maybe they know exactly what they're going to do. You know, they probably do. But yeah. whatever it is, we're not going to know it until it happens. Yeah, and even but, then, it but I'm not anti-vaccine. If it, I mean, but as long as I have antibodies from from having it, I'm I'm not really interested in in getting it. Yeah, but who knows how long they last? Nobody knows anything. I think you need to get a doctor on here. Okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get Fauci on here. That'll be great. Um, so, uh, I'm also I'm also looking forward to paying four dollars a gallon for gas again. That's exciting coming up you here. Believe that's going to happen in the very. Uh, I, it happened last time, so I don't know. I I think when you ever you take a country that's kind of become more uh, self sufficient in the energy realm, and then you say now we're going to backtrack and we're going to have to rely again on international fossil fuel. Uh, then yeah, I think that uh, you're going to see it at the, the, a price hike put on the consumer for sure. I think if you look at it in every way that you can, if we're talking about what the average guy has got coming during this, it is uh, it's it's an easy time to be paranoid. Mm -hmm. It's an easy time to worry about everything. You know, like just talking to the hunters that I talk with and the guys that I've got booked around the world or hunts or whatever. It's just a such a uncertainty breeds that. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I'm uncertain about it. Now I'm paranoid something's going to happen. And if you think about it, really, when, when you go on one of these hunts, if you call them a hunt of a lifetime or, you know, and if you're really blessed, you get to hunt a lot, you know, it's, an, it's another, de- another trip for you or whatever. Um, you're trying to go have fun. That's your goal. Right. And since I've been involved in this and over 20 years of doing it, the truth is the travel part has become, it used to be like an adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the first trip I went to Zimbabwe was to Africa was in Zimbabwe in 2000. And I'll never forget the way I felt and what, you know, in my mind, I was real young at the time and it wasn't, you know, the, you got to keep in mind, these things weren't nearly as expensive then too. Right. You know, I remember my first doll sheep hunt was 5,000 bucks and I thought that was a lot. Wow. I'm not a rich man, but I would, I would write a check for five grand right now. And there, say, there, Take there, me doll there, sheep there, there you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, I mean, and even then that's how I felt. I mean, it was still a pretty good deal or whatever. And uh-huh. you could go on or even a, you know, 10,000 would have been about the best one, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and so you, you think about it as three times more now, if you're really talking about the better stuff. So back, back then, you know, you didn't, it wasn't like you were mortgaging your home to go on a trip. Right. And it was exciting. You got on the plane. You weren't scared to talk to anybody about being a hunter. Or am I going to, you know, it's not that I, I mean, I can promise you can look at my history. I don't care about telling everybody this stuff. But frankly, I don't want to make the person next to me uncomfortable. And I want to spend 12 hours talking to an anti-hunter who's going to, you know, otherwise if we were talking about whatever, golf, we'd had a great time together. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, in, in a way it's become a more divisive subject. And if you look at everything that's in it, it's become less and less comfortable to do. So what you get is more committed people like yourself, like myself. If we want to do it, we're just going to do it and Katie bar the door. Yeah. Uh, And that kind of leads me to the next thing I want to talk about is international travel with firearms. Um, It seems like I'm flying cutter on this, this go around my first time with them. I've flown, um, I have flown, Emirates twice and American once through London Heathrow. Don't do that. They don't like guns there in London Heathrow. The fish and chips were good. Um, but uh, but Emirates, the first time I went, I think it was 27, 2016, they came and grabbed me from the front of the line. They saw my gun case and they're like, oh, Mr. Smith, we've been expecting you. And like put me through the front of the line. I felt like, you know, I was getting, I think the other people, like you said, were looking at me kind of like, why is this guy getting special treatment? And so it was the opposite of like, now I'm like having to jump through all these hoops just to send Cutter this litany of emails just so that they know I have a gun. And I don't know, it's, it's, it has changed just in, you know, you're talking about 2000. I'm just talking about five years ago and it's right. And well, Emirates is still, when you get on that plane, from what I understand, they know that you have the firearm. Okay. And they're going to let you know that they have it at times that you have it at times. And I've never had a firearm not make it on a trip. I've had it them not be able to find it for a short period of time mm-hmm. but i've had it to where i've never with them i've never lost one i'm not like a an, an, an emirates fanboy here right. but in and it is nice that they say hey we know you have a firearm we're not mad at you about it mm-hmm. okay here you go i mean it's a, it's a far cry from in the in the uh early 2000s mid 2000s one of the times we went, there was a, there was a rumor that this one anti hunter worked at the counter for an airline. I'm not going to tell you which one, mm-hmm. but would that was making was get, getting into those gun cases and just twisting the the uh, the um, turrets, mm-hmm. screwing up everything they could, and they would give you all sorts of hell. 
Huh. I mean, there, I mean, I a lot of it in the in the past. There was hey, there were good things about it. There's bad things about it. I don't think you got. I hope you don't have to worry about that today. Yeah. But back then, security was different. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you go back to the '70s, you could probably throw your gun in a bag of dog food and go. <laughs> I mean, it was just a different time. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, look at Kirk Douglas. You can look at the pictures on the internet. He's coming off the plane with his gun. Mm. I mean, that's how the differences the differences in the past today. Yeah. You said you haven't lost a gun, though? You haven't? Not with Emirates. Okay. I'm sure, I've, I've lost them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got them back, but uh, I've dang sure not had them make the hunt. But this was this was back in the day, man. Uh-huh. You know, back then, it was, it was, it was a mess in a lot of ways. You had to have everybody put, you know, I mean, it's still a good practice. You know, spread all the ammo out, spread all the guns out, make sure you get something, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I did a... Okay, the worst I know about ever was a client. God, it sounds like we're telling people don't go hunt internationally no, right now. Right. <laughs> you, you want to talk about it. I do gotta, want to yeah, talk you about it. You got to keep in mind that honestly, all of this stuff is an adventure. Uh-huh. And if you're down for adventure, do it. Yeah. And, and if you look at it like it's part of the adventure, go for it. I think you, yeah, you have to look at it that way. If you look at it like that and you're saying it's a life experience I'm going on, and it's you know I don't care you know if you're if you're truly that experienced guy or you're the you know hardcore diehard most mature trophy animal I'm gonna hunt my butt off to the last day if I don't get that you know you kind of go back to you're the experienced guy you mm-hmm. got to be if you're not gonna get it you're going for the experience of that yeah so it all circles back to that if we didn't enjoy the part of hunting that was you know the 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 adventure and the quest and the journey. You know, you wouldn't, uh, you know, that's why safari means journey, you know. And every one of those experiences, those journeys is unique unto itself, different from the previous one. And it won't be the same as the next one either, uh, which I think is part of the beauty of it. When we come back, we're going to get into one of those journeys that Corey can look back and laugh on now. But at the time was probably more like living in an actual nightmare. Uh, That segment of the show brought to you by... SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'm a proud member. Corey is as well. No organization is doing more when it comes to protecting your rights as a hunter, when it comes to conservation, and when it comes to educating the public. There's so much misinformation out there regarding who we are as hunters and what we actually do. Nobody does more than SCI. So if you're interested, head over to the website, safariclub.org. Uh, We'd love to have you. Coming up next, a horror story that uh, occurred somewhere in the mountains of Tajikistan, right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. There's something nostalgic about the old-timey general store, and that's exactly what you're going to find in downtown Goldwaith, Texas, at the Mills County General Store. They're licensed FFL with rifle, pistols, and shotguns, ammo, gun accessories, hunting accessories, deer, corn, and attractants, sporting goods. They've got a wide array of knives to choose from, plus insulated apparel for both work and camo for hunting season fishing supplies they've got foods like anchor tea grass-fed beef dublin sodas gourmet sauces and a whole lot more also ace hardware from wall to wall they have it all check it out the mills county general store right there in goldweight texas guys cable here for coon stopper if you're tired of losing corn or protein to those pesky raccoons well here's your solution 
If you're running a traditional feeder that has, you know, those long legs that coons like to climb up and rob you blind, well, you just attach the coon stopper to each leg. It's so easy. I just put one on a 300-pound all-seasons feeder, and <laughs> the results speak for themselves. Coons don't like it. They basically attempt one time, realize that it hurts, and they're done. Throw in the towel, just like that. It's the coon stopper, and you can find it at alamooutdoorworld.com. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Y'all, it's Charlie Robinson, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Well, I got ties to show, a backbone made of silver. Well, I got Willie playing on my radio. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, Charlie Robinson for you, as we are still visiting with Corey Knowlton. Worldwide, big game hunter, traveler, even angler these days. And we're about to hear a hunting horror tale that played out somewhere in the mountains of uh, the Middle East. But before we do that, this segment of the show brought to you by First Light. You know, turkey season is right around the corner. And the guide light pant will keep you warm in the cool mornings, but also keep you cool when the temperature starts to heat up as the day goes on you can find the guide light pant at firstlight.com first light go further stay longer well Corey, let's get back into it here and i know you've told me the story before but the audio quality was just so bad because i think we taped it in the middle of the dsc uh, convention floor so lots of noise lots of other people walking around and for that reason it, it never aired but let's wrong that right today because it's certainly a story that I think everyone will enjoy hearing at your expense. So go ahead and uh, describe that not-so-memorable trip to, I believe it was, Tajikistan? You know, I hate to say that it's the worst because, you know, I'd like to think that I don't remember what the worst one was. <laughs> and, you know, you're talking on, you know, out of 60 countries and you know, hundreds of days and years of my life in other countries. But I'll, I'll say, you know, in a, in a sense, the most memorable was in Tajikistan in 2005. My brother, I convinced my, I, at the time, you know, I was wanting to sheep hunt and so on and so forth. And I was early on in, in sheep hunting. Now I've done, you know, I don't know, 70 of them or whatever, either guiding them or doing it myself. You know, it's not a real high number compared to a lot of people, but you know, for me, it seems it's like a lot. Most, for, yeah, it's for, more than most. Sure. And so at the time, I was just extremely naive. And, you know, you everybody, I'm telling you, everybody who gets on a plane and does something, if you're going to go in it feeling like you're the, you know, the, 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 the expert of all time, a lot of times you're putting yourself into feeling really naive. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, or you're just so ignorant that you didn't, you should have felt naive and you didn't. But... You know, and I'm not saying I was that guy, but I went over there and I trusted a guy, this this booking agent, 
and uh, my brother and I get over there, and we fly, we show up, and we thought that the hunt was going to be at like a higher altitude, and it was in July, so we're thinking, oh, it'll be warm, but it'll be up in the mountain, right? Well, it turned out that it was a hunt for, at the time, Afghan Uriel, they've renamed it since, but it's just a Uriel sheep, a small sheep. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was in the Punj River Valley on the border of Afghanistan, but on the Tajika side, Tajikistan side. And so we arrive in the evening and we show up at this camp and they've got like this kind of uh, covered area with um, with grapes all over the top of it. And it's kind of cool underneath there and there's spraying misty water and we eat this great dinner. We're thinking, man, this is going to be good. You know, these guys are nice and hardly any of them spoke in English, but they were nice enough. And um, and that was the best day of the trip. <laughs> and so so we go out to the field and we wake up and they're like, you know, you need to uh get um get up early and we're gonna we got one horse and we're gonna put some stuff on that horse. We'll just have a light meal, we'll throw some stuff on this horse, and then we're gonna go out in the field. And walk next to the horse, okay? And then we're going to look for sheep or whatever. Where did you book this on out of curiosity? <laughs> booked it here in America with a guy who's no longer booking hunts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, it was like con man, dude, whatever. <clears throat> flim flam, man. So he, um, we go. We get up. This is all cool. You know, we're walking. It's like 5 a.m., you know, and we're walking, we're walking, walking. And we go, and they're like, they come over the radio. You need to get over here, you know. And, and we get over there, and there's just like a, crab little banana horn thing i'm like we're not gonna shoot that you know i mean we wouldn't shoot it on the last day it's just right you know immature animal and so we go back and it's like call it like nine o'clock and we share this watermelon my brother and i well that's all they brought for food all day one watermelon one watermelon and so we eat the watermelon and we're all right and then you know it's like nine o'clock we go we've been up early and we're traveling jet lag so we're like man let's just take a nap right so we're under this pistachio tree and we wake up, call it like 11 o'clock. And my brother looks at me and he goes, dude, it's 120 degrees out there. I was like, no way. He's like, feel that bottle of water over in the sun. And I put my hand out there in the sun. And the difference between the shade and the sun was like, you know, on Mercury or <laughs> Mars or something. You know, it was just unbelievable. And so I sat there and I'm hot. I woke up hot, sweating, you know. That's the worst. And I and I go, I grab that bottle of water and I go to pour it on my head. And everybody in the group starts screaming at me, no, 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 no. Well, it's too late. The water goes on my head and they're like, ugh. But what happened is that dust out of Afghanistan was all in my hair. And when I put water in it, it turned to concrete. Oh, man. It was like clods of, you know, <laughs> whatever. And so, you know, we're laughing about it, right? We go all day sitting under this tree and then we get there. And at the end, again, they'd have, they had this one dude, I'll never forget him. They call him motorcycle man. And motorcycle man was in the mountains on a Russian motorcycle from like the seventies at the best, probably the sixties. And it had no brakes. He was stopping it with his feet <laughs> in the mountains on a big wheel as kids, uh-huh. right? Going down a hill, stop, stop, stop. I mean, motorcycle man. 
you know, I joke with Buck. I was like, we lost motorcycle, man. He really believed it. He's like, no way. No, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, dude. But I mean, he could see it. So anyway, you know, motorcycle man was out scouting. He said, oh, I've seen Ram over here or whatever. So we, we get on there and we take turns running on this, uh, running next to this horse. One of us riding it, one of us running. Well, we did that until we vomited each one of us. So we didn't vomit. It was like two a days. It's just like two a days. Yeah. Okay. But that day it was 55 degrees Celsius. So over 130 degrees Fahrenheit is the hottest I've ever hunted. Yeah. Huh. And so we are throwing up everywhere. Okay. We're covered in it. We get over there. And again, it's some little sickle horn banana thing, you know, little dude. We're like, no, we ain't going to shoot that. So we go, <laughs> we go back to the camp. You know, which is like, it wasn't a camp. We were just sleeping on the ground. Uh And uh, they bring in this goat, a live goat. And they bring the live goat in. And we're like, okay, there's a goat. (laughs) They just, they dig a hole about the size if you cupped your hand in it. They cut that goat's throat. They skin that goat and they go cook it immediately. They're like, this is dinner. The cook we had last night was great. Like, we fired him. He was gone. Problems. Well, I mean, there couldn't have been a problem bigger, better, worse than poisoning us all. Okay. Yeah. So, which is what happened. We ate the goat and we stripped down uh, with either of our clothes completely naked and we were pouring water all over ourselves in a pitcher. That was the shower. Okay. So we ate this goat, whatever. And uh, we wake up the next day feel pretty good whatever we do the same thing we sweat our butt off all day well the end of the day hits kind of like uh you know kind of getting towards it four o'clock whatever you know Uh and i'm sitting on the side of this mountain that's covered in pistachio trees and it's extremely steep i don't know why i'm telling this again (laughs) keep going yeah anyway anyway so so i'm walking (laughs) And it feels like some sort of explosion happens inside of me. And I went from like completely, you know, strong as I could have been to emaciated and weak with one giant crap. (laughs) It just hit. There was no time to get my, no time to get my pants down. No time to get anything. It's like, this is happening now. Okay. And so anyway, I've just crapped everywhere inside my clothes, and this isn't stopping. <laughs> and uh, it's 130 it, it, degrees. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's in the evening now. It might only be 121. Right. <laughs> okay. So I got boxes. This is like on. the uh, the definition of the term hot mess. <laughs> yes, it was a disaster. So I got boxers on, and frankly, that's what saved me is because now I can just throw these boxers – crap filled boxers away and at least the top of my pants weren't covered uh-huh. but my bottom of my pants were full of crap <laughs> so i like did this crazy dance on the side of the hill to get my shoes off and then i go to uh i go to get my pants off and you know you're like it's like eventually you're just covered in it you couldn't do anything so i, I throw those boxers away i chop i ch- turn my my hunting pants into a pair of like jean shorts from the <laughs> 80s you know pockets sticking out the top as, co- as close as i could get up dukes there of hazard, yeah, yeah dukes of hazard style as close as i could get up there to not have crap on them right so anyway the guy the guy who was wonderful that did this hunt his name was show and uh, he's a guy who used to do all the Marco Polo hunts and interpret for that. 
And he is just laughing at me. He's like full on laughing at me. And I'm hanging by a tree. This crap ain't going away. Uh. It was like that full on 30 minute wherever you feel. I mean, anybody who's had that kind of diarrhea knows what I'm talking about. You just like, <laughs> as soon as you get up, you're pissed because you got to go sit on the toilet again. Uh-huh. Right. So I'm doing this over and over and I'm sweating and, and I'm hanging by a pistachio tree because it's so steep. There was no place to squat without rolling down the hill like a snowball. Crap snowball. <laughs> crap ball. So anyway, the uh, the guy's laughing at me and we start walking back and uh, it hits him the same way. He's rushing to get his pants the down. Guide. The guide. I would have thought like his gut was like immune to this or something. It was not. Yeah. Okay, whatever. Your turn <laughs> to laugh. <laughs> that goat prep was done really hastily. Mm. So anyway, whatever happened to me happened to him in kind of a medium to bad way. You know, he wasn't, I mean, he crapped his pants. Okay. <laughs> and so, okay. So we get back to the car. We're in a, a Russian Lada hatchback. You can Google that and see what that's like. But it was a two-hour ride back to camp. We meet up my brother. My brother is covered in crap. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's on a steep incline. Even though he got his pants off, he crapped all over himself. Okay? We all get in this car. Can you imagine three grown men smelling like a a septic tank inside of a car that's now in the inside of this thing is probably 135, you know? (laughs) So we air it all out and we pack in this thing. It was a nightmare getting down, getting down the hill. But anyway, I I mean, this is, that was just the the short version as long as that was. Yeah. And no, uh, no sheep were harmed. Hell no, no (laughs) sheep were harmed. We spent two days taking Lamotil and and we found the only air conditioner in the entire village was one of those little wall units. Mm. And we sat there for two days recuperating. We hunted another two days, but it was, it was a waste. Wow. This day, no Afghan Uriel. So there's a, that's the, uh, the part of the adventure you just kind of have to take with the, the if good you can and the bad. Look at, if you can look at those things, I look back at it and I'll never forget it. You know, if you can look at those things and at the time they're, they're horrible, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and you just say, all right, you know, this is what I'm pushing myself through it. You know, it, what, what's amazing is when you go through things that are, that are tough, um, you know, if it's a high mountain hunt or an elephant hunt or whatever, you know, and you, and, and then you succeed. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think this, this elk behind me, uh, I got blisters on the way in on a seven mile backcountry hunt. Is that like a bad of on, badge of honor to you? This is what happened to me. Well, yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. You know, you, if your feet go in the backcountry, then you're you're screwed. So to have that happen and then still find success on the last day, uh, yeah, I was pretty proud of that one. But those are those are the things I guess I'm talking about. You know, it's it's not you go out there, dude. We're we're pretty urbanized society i don't care really who you are you're we're, it's it's a long way from even when great great grandpa was sitting around with plaid under a tree waiting for a deer to come by mm-hmm. you know oh. it's just we're different now yeah uh let's do this let's take a quick break we'll come back we got a lot more stuff to get into sound good sounds great good deal and that segment brought to you by something that i'm taking to africa with me next week and that is the vortex hd diamondback spotting scope you can find the entire Diamondback series at vortexoptics.com. Vortex, the force of optics. We'll be right back with more. With Corey Knowlton on STI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Eisenhower sent him more. He kept her picture in his pocket that was closest to his 
his heart and when he hit shore Must have been a target for the gunman Whether you're headed to the lake for crappie, the coast for redfish, or trying to put your tag on that big gobbler this spring, don't let your truck tank your next trip. Third Coast Diesels does it all. From maintenance to repairs to full diesel rebuilds, any accessory on any truck, doesn't matter. They also do lifts, wheels, tires, hell, you name it. Third Coast Diesel does it. Call David Boone at 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com. With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm and Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com, the website, or call Chad at 830-776-3605. This premium power sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore premium underscore power sports. That's TexasPremiumPowerSports.com. Nothing ever happened around my hometown. I kind of just hang around. There's the great Steve Earle bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you as always. Thank you so much for dropping by today. Uh, we've still got renowned big game hunter Corey Knowlton here in studio with us. Before we pick it back up with Corey, however, this segment proudly brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. Land is the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it, whether that's for hunting, fishing, recreating, running cattle, or just to get the hell out of the big city. That sounds nice these days, doesn't it? Uh, either way, Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered. They've been at it for over 100 years. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. And uh, with that being said, Corey, thanks for sticking around. You're welcome. So the meme master of the 6-5 Creed Nation, that's what I'm looking at right here. Anyone that follows your uh, Instagram account is rewarded periodically with some uh, hilarity at the expense of 6-5 Creedmoor owners. <laughs> and I have a 6-5 Creedmoor. Uh, it's not something that I'm interested in taking, let's just say, on a Western hunt. Really probably wouldn't shoot anything over a white-tailed deer-sized uh, deer animal with it. Uh, but for here, for me... Coyotes, hogs does you know does work on them, uh, but where does this uh, disdain? And it might it might be more than just the six five Creedmoor. It might actually come from a deeper, darker place. I don't know, but uh, it, well, it wouldn't be darker. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about that because I you know I sometimes repost them, but all of them crack me up. I don't want anybody attacking my house. I don't want. Um, any of the 6.5 Creedmoor owners that are out there or people who are fans. Kill you with a 6.5 anyway. So. 
well that they you know so so but the 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 gist is this i had one too and i've shot one once and it shot really well i never shot the one i owned you know was one of one of the you know i was a lot younger and a family member once told me if you think you're gonna if you think about getting married when i was little you know trying to scare me they were having a hard time with somebody and there's like just give half of everything you own to the person you hate the most and rack yourself you know <laughs> okay <laughs> this guy this guy was going through it at the time but anyway uh i, I gave my 6.5 creed more away and I, I didn't have to rack myself i think if i kept it i would have racked myself mm-hmm. so where where does it come from well cable what year were you born 81 okay in my opinion cable you're at the tail end of the people that think like a lot of the people just just the what we grew up with the way we look at the world i was born in 78 mm-hmm. the way the generation xers look at the world and in and, and the baby boomers before them you know i don't want to class everybody out okay is just different than what we're dealing with now the way you and i grew up hunting yeah. and it's, here's here in north texas getting to hunting where the crowds we ran into they were different people okay and and I'm not saying that these people are with the 6.5 Creedmoor are like abandoning reality. Okay, there are plenty of people that own it. I know guys that took it and did great with it. It works. It is what it is. But they have turned it into a cult that it is just this amazing thing that is the end all be all to every question you could ever have ballistically that you could ever it's the answer to big game hunting well it wasn't even designed for hunting it was designed for long-range shooting and it does very well in the long-range competitions a lot of those guys that shoot professionally shoot six five they shoot 300 win mag and uh seven mag i think those are the top three calibers when you look at the the guys who really are what i would say you know modern day sniper caliber marksman right you know and and to an extent it's always fun when you're joking with somebody that can take a joke Mm -hmm. okay that really can and i enjoy it i would joke with you i can take it as much as i can dish it out okay but when you are telling a joke to somebody that's completely it's lost on and you've told this joke a thousand times (laughs) And these people still listen to listen to it and still are harmed in their mind by it, damaged, if you will. It you know, there's something ridiculous about it that I I can't imagine. You know, in the past, I I had the memes about Kuyu, and ultimately I got to a point they were really funny. At least I was told that, you know, I don't really have a sense of humor. I'm, I'm not a comedian, <laughs> but maybe I could play one on TV. But the, the, uh, they were funny. But, man, those people got – there was people out there that got hurt. They were, they were saying I was vexing good people, that I was hurting their feelings, that I was – even go as far as, like, bad towards Jason's family or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm guys, I'm making a joke about a pair of pants. Right. Okay. This is it. And if you are, you know, and, and cable, we've discussed that in the past. If, if you're in this right now, you got a SCI first for hunters polo on a pair of Crocs and a pair of jeans. 
I could probably put a clown mask on you. <laughs> okay. This is the beauty of working yeah, yeah, yeah. working out of the house. Man. Yes, yes. The studio yeah, is yeah. right here. I, I could put know, a cl- this is dressed up. Most days I'm just staying in my pajamas all day. Well, we, okay, let's go to your pajamas. <laughs> we can put you in your pajamas, and we could kill almost anything together if we do two things. What are those two things? Oh, play the wind would be the first one. Okay, downwind. Mm-hmm. And what's the other one? I just got to put yourself in the right spot. Out of sight. Out of sight, downwind. Okay, those two things, we can kill anything we want with you dressed up like Bozo the Clown. Mm-hmm. So, so I, and, and then you're going to get into, okay, you're, well, here, here's the arguments. Well, what about turkey hunting? What about bow hunting? Okay, I'm talking about rifle hunting, all right, and in most situations. I'm not saying there isn't, you know, the camo's bad or anything like that, mm-hmm. but it started with this and how damaged and, and hilarious it was to listen to the people who were so into Kuyu get upset about it. And, and man, and ultimately, you know, I have a lot of friends who wore it. They yeah. love it. You know, I mean, but frankly, well, I, I mean, you, I love my first light gear. There you go. It. Okay. It's great. That's great. Yeah. It keeps me you warm. Have, have you ever put on your first light gear and put on a first light vest and walked into a Denny's like you own the place <laughs> uh, because uh, you got first light on? Uh, well, no, not like I owned it, but I've certainly walked into you many probably restaurants. Ate, you probably, did you eat in there like you owned it? I can't say that I did that. Okay, either way. <laughs> but the coup, you guys, there's just something about it. And, you know, Sitka, first light, you, I, I don't really know. I haven't examined it enough to really make fun of you, I guess. Oh. But so anyway, it started with that. The 6.5 Creedmoor, here we go. For big game hunting and large animals, it isn't the way to go. For medium to smaller animals in big game hunting, you can debate it. Mm-hmm. But... The to me, have you ever hunted much in South Texas? Quite a bit. Have you ever heard of the Hines family or Roy Hines? Yes. Okay. He's, he's got tracking dogs. Roy Hines got tracking dogs. Yeah. I think, actually, Roy. I think Roy's been on the show. It's been years, but yes. Okay. I, yeah. Roy's like a legend, dude. Uh-huh. Okay. Roy's dad's a legend. Their family are wonderful people. Roy wouldn't lie to you. Roy says the 6.5 is like his retirement plan. <laughs> He's out there working all the time on deer that are wounded with a 6.5. And you could say, you could argue this point that, you know, this this is a valid, you know, data-based argument that there's just a lot of 6.5s out there. Yeah. And that hunters have always sucked at shooting. Okay. <laughs> and anybody who's been in a deer camp knows that... <laughs> You know that people suck. Right. We all suck. I mean, the big the big deal for me from going from sucky to being okay was admitting to myself I sucked. Uh-huh. The six point five Creedmoor people ain't admitting to themselves they <laughs> sucked. <laughs> okay. No, they've got this miracle me- Gandalf wand that kills anything it touches. <laughs> or tell me off the air. It, it was a good analogy of you've got a what a six hundred Nitro Express. Okay, so that's 7,000 pounds. You know, arguing how you load it up, but for easy math, just okay. say that or something. Okay. So you shoot a white-tailed deer with that. 100-pound deer. And it's a solid. A soft. It's a, okay. Yeah, so it's, it's, you only so, got softs and solid, but say right. we shot it with soft. Okay. And say you shot it up the butt. Uh-huh. So this deer is not dying from the impact. I mean, it's dying from the shock wave that that bullet, the, that, that's that right. kinetic you're, energy is carrying. You're, you're killing it with shock. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you hit it with that, it's going to die. It could die from hemorrhage, but 
how you know how how many of y'all if you're out there riding your car or whatever have shot an animal and seen it when you hit it a deer with a you know 300 mag or a big gun or even a small you know you you hit it and it's gone you know it's gone it does like a little jerk in its neck yeah yeah yeah. boom like those old i mean the good example is like those neck shots or Mm -hmm. in an area of the neck all those things you know the way the animals are gone okay so that shock wave is smoking them Mm -hmm. and they're they're dying because of it largely in part of it and you know they've they've done studies where it shows these scars and i'm not a doctor you know just my interpretation where it shows these half moon scars that are caused by the wave moving through so that moves through your brain tissue or your spinal column or whatever it's damaging you your heart whatever it's over over. right okay quickly yeah and so anyway when you will do the math is at, 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 you know, we, we chose a, a, a 600 nitro for the, uh, which is kind of a little bit of hyperbole, <laughs> but you could do the math on anything that shoots 3000 foot pounds, right? Uh-huh. If you shoot 3000 foot pounds and you shoot it into a hundred pound deer, we'll do the math. There's 30 to one. Right. So that is going to hit that thing. It is the last, you know, if it's a dangerous game animal, a leopard that weighed a hundred pounds, if you hit that thing 30 to one right in the chest, likely not going to think about biting you right now Mm -hmm. okay if you hit him good he's done so on a deer you hit that deer good with that it smokes it it's done now if we take a the 600 600 nitro express and we shoot an elephant then you know for easy math let's just say we just blow you know six thousand pounds you know foot pounds and it's twelve thousand pounds on the of elephant of elephant you can only kill that by disabling it you know, hitting it in the brain, okay? Right. But if you're talking about a body shot, disabling it or killing it th- from hemorrhaging. Because mm-hmm. you're so not going to shock it to death. You're, you're not going to shock it to death because yeah. you're limited on you're, you're, the animal. The thing you're shooting is more, weighs twice as much as the animal bullet you're hitting. This goes all the way back to shooting a prairie dog. Why does a prairie dog explode? The wound channel created is larger than the prairie dog. Right, right. Okay, yeah. so he's gone. Yeah, it doesn't explode when I shoot it with my son's 17 HMR. Well, that's a shame. But, you know, you well, shoot. You're back to the math. Right. But I'm just, but, you know, if you shoot it with even like a 22-250, sometimes they're, just, right. you know. So if you take a, if you take archery equipment, you know, you're an archery hunter, mm-hmm. aren't you? Okay. Yeah. You have a lot of friends archery hunt. You're killing it with hemorrhaging. Right. You know, the, the big argument, expandable versus... Got to get a, a good blood trail, and that's true. Yeah, the big the big argument is with expandable versus versus, versus a fixed blade is a fixed blade is cutting right away, mm-hmm. and you're talking about penetration, you know, but you're going to sacrifice a little bit of accuracy historically, okay? So you, you make the decision. If you're going to kill with penetration, wound channel... You know, if you and you don't have to worry about accuracy, you'd kind of rather start cutting it as soon as you did. But if you're worried about accuracy, which is very important, you go back to the fixed. Blood. I mean, the 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 expandable being better, mm-hmm. a better choice for you. So there's no wrong choice there. But when it comes to this bullet and the math that these 6.5 Creedmoor people are using, you know, I don't exactly know. You could pull it up, whatever the foot pounds are, right? But when you start talking about a 750-pound bull elk, the math ain't on your side with a 6.5 Creedmoor. Right, but this is what they'll say to you. And and I don't want to alienate people or, or piss them off, but it's, Get it's, ready to. it's the truth because I, I would never shoot an elk with a 6.5 Creedmoor. You're, what is the biggest 6.5 Creedmoor bullet? It's like 140-something grains? I'm, I, I'll tell you what. I wouldn't go as far as to say I'd never do it, but I would never do it in a long way. 
Well, I wouldn't do it because I wouldn't take a 6.5 Creedmoor elk hunting. Fair when enough. I have a 300 Win Mag sitting in my in, safe. Yeah, but in a pinch. Uh, if the big bull's there, I mean. It's, and I was like, hey, what? I, what? That's what he got. If I was ever in big bull country, I would never have a 6.5 Creedmoor are you, in the are, truck. Are, are, you, are, you, are you actually talking like common sense? It's so uncommon. I don't understand why. Okay, I I, I'm with you. I'm okay, not going to so, go down Their the argument road. is this. Well, if I make the perfect shot, well, then it doesn't matter. And, and, and there is something to that. But how many of them are making the perfect shot? They're not putting in hours and hours and hours of range time. They're not the guys that we talked about earlier that are doing the long-range shooting competitions for money. Uh, so I am not too proud to say I, I, I'm fine shooting a, you know, a softball-sized group at 400 yards instead of a, a golf-ball-sized group. I don't care. I'm going to kill the animal. And he's in the, that, Especially that softball-sized group has more punch. Exactly. 300 so, with a so, 180 or 200 grain right. uh, 300 wind mag bullet. so when they come to you with shot placement you're almost talking i hate to say this guys you're reminded me of utopian quest here in a perfect world i, I, had, a, I had a talk with a guy the other day about he's talking about going archery hunting in africa mm -hmm. and, the, and the fella hasn't hunted um dangerous game before and, I, and he's like, well, I can pull back 75 pounds. I'm like, man, that's great. I said, okay, if you're going to Zambia and Luangwa Valley, it's going to be hot. You need to figure out what you can pull back when it gets to uh, 90 degrees. You've just walked five miles, and you're in a stress situation. Mm -hmm. And the guy's like, man, that is some of the best advice I've ever heard. So go out there and put yourself in that stressful situation. The, the analogy is this. You say, all right, I've got this 6.5 Creedmoor. Now I've shot an elk. It's running. i got to shoot it again. Now you're dealing with what's called funny angles. When you deal with funny angles, you want to go through stuff. You need mm -hmm. to go through the hip. You need to go through the, the, uh, the, the guts. You don't want it to stop in there. If you perforate an animal's diaphragm, you got a great chance of finding that animal. Mm -hmm. You really do. Okay. So, so if you shoot it right up the butt and you don't make it there, go ahead. So, but if you're the guy that says, all right, I'm going to make the best shot I can. And then I'm not going to be good at reloading my rifle fast. I'm going to sit there and watch. And hopefully then, you know, the beauty of my shot is going to be so gorgeous and that it works out. That's great. But if it doesn't, you have just put your ego I never see those, the ones that don't work out on Instagram. Oh, of course. <laughs> but you, 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 you've just put your ego in the way of that, you know. A clean you, kill. Yeah, yeah, a clean kill, and, that, and, and it's more important to you than that animal suffering. Yeah. So if you really, I mean, I'd say what you want about me. If you don't like me or whatever, um, the, the way to make it in, in, in this, in the long way, and have a successful hunting fun career is to check that ego at the door. If I look back at anything that I ever had problems with in this, it was because I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not saying don't go buy a six point Creedmoor, five Cre a six point five Creedmoor. I'm not saying that it's a horrible round, but what I am saying is there's a time and a place for everything, and making an accurate shot isn't the the end all be all because a lot of times, if you're being honest for everybody. And, you know, I, I said this earlier, I said, you know, should you have to be Carlos Hathcock to go out there and hunt? Or right. can you be, you know, my neighbor, Carlos, who likes to go deer hunting? Yeah. You know what I mean? 
And you know, you, you're working all the time. You're working a nine to five job. You go to the range. You now you can't even find ammo. Yeah. So. Now you can't find ammo. And now you're scared to travel. You got all these things, you know, now you got to worry about, you know, if, if my shot isn't a hundred percent perfect, I'm telling you now, it's just the way it is. If you're out there hunting time and time again, it's personal ethics. If the biggest deer of your life that you've ever seen is running straight away, if you have a gun, that's great, and you can put it right up the animal's butthole, you've got him, mm -hmm. and he's dying quickly. Yeah. Okay, that goes back to you better practice, mm -hmm. and you better have the good gun. Well, I, I think the checking your ego at the door thing is important. I, I've had to do that as an archery hunter. I've realized, number one, I'm not the guy that's going to – and and this is just the reality is I don't really work on my own bows. You know, I can tinker with them a little bit, but I'd rather go – I have a good friend who's – you know, he's a bow tech. So he sets them up for me. We shoot them together. He's given me lessons. Um, but my reality is that I'm never going to be th this Fred bear esque bow hunter. I'm just not now I, chasing elk with a bow is my favorite thing to do. And so I have decided, uh, last year I shot one in the shoulder and didn't get the penetration. Uh, so I'm going to go with a bigger arrow setup, but that, you know, I felt like Comparing it to the Creedmoor, maybe my archery setup was more like a 6.5 Creedmoor on a marginal shot. If I don't hit that thing right in the vitals, um, and it was a 62-yard shot, so that's pushing my limits as well. Uh, luckily, the elk didn't die, and, and if you don't have a heavy enough arrow setup, you don't get the penetration, and the, the, the outfitter was like, you know what, well, someone will shoot him during rifle season. It's He'll be fine. We see it all the time. That, that makes me feel a little better, but that doesn't help my situation, so I've got to go back and get the 300 wind mag of archery setups you know well and i'll and i think i can put it to you this way one of my colleagues is the most prolific african bow hunter ever mm. okay it's like over 130 different species hunted the whole continent we're not talking about you know i'm not going to get into the whole high fence thing you know he, he's hunted everything in wild situations and probably hunted some of the high fence situations too but anyway you know if you're talking about the reason i say it's because african game is the standard of tough animals to kill mm -hmm. And he has a wonderful way of putting it. And I don't know if it, he came up with himself or he got it somewhere, but the only thing that's equal, equally as impressive as the killing power of an arrow is the non-killing power of an arrow. Hmm. So he shot a warthog, double-lunged it, and killed it the next year. Wow. Okay, so things, funny things happen with cuts. We've all been cut, mm -hmm. okay? And funny things happen. One of them bleeds way more. One of them doesn't. There's all these things that can happen with an arrow and a cut. And and so if you if you think about it that way, I would take the same logic. I'm not saying that whatever, you know, if you hit a elk in the shoulder, unfortunately, you made a bad shot. Yeah. And if you hit an elk in the, But there are arrows that can penetrate that shoulder. Okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not arguing that. But I'm saying even though right. that's not the ideal spot. We, can we agree with that with a bow? Well, absolutely. That was my point of okay. like, well, I've so, shot it with too light of a, if you're going to make a marginal shot, right? Which right. is the creed so, people never do. So plan for the worst case scenario. Go for whatever you think's got the most pop. If mm -hmm. you're going to shoot at 50 yards, practice at 100. And then 50 is easy. Right. And, and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> uh, I've got a stack of these dangerous game uh, bullets here. For this buffalo hunt I've got coming up, okay, uh, three hundred grain, three seventy five Ruger, okay, should do the trick, right? Hornady, dangerous game. It should. do I know the you're trick. wearing a Nosler hat, but it should do the trick. If yeah. you, you know, look, if you're if you're going on an African safari to shoot one buffalo, 
you bring the gun that you can shoot best. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make, you're going to go and shoot 20 or 30 over your life, you learn to adapt to what can help you out in a dangerous situation because you will eventually be in one. Mm. That can work, but the second you operate the bolt, that's the second if a guy with a double rifle next to you has already saved your life. Yeah. It's in the, the cool thing is it's either fully loaded or fully unloaded. Mm-hmm. It's one or the other. <laughs> there ain't the, there ain't an intermediate time. Right, right. Um, let's do this. Let's take one more break, come back, and talk about some, I don't think, concerns that you might have within the uh, hunting community. You got it. That segment was brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy with locations in Marion and San Antonio, Texas. Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all of my trophy mounts. They'll put that Cape Buffalo on the wall for me as well. Fingers crossed that I get one. Uh, But they do amazing work. They offer relatively quick turnaround time, and they answer the phone when you call. Imagine that, the taxidermist that doesn't dodge your phone calls. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. Be right back with more with our good buddy Corey Knowlton on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. When you dig my grave, would you make it shallow so I can feel the rain? The spawn is right around the corner. Your reels have been re-spooled and the tackle box is ready to roll. But the question is, can your truck handle another season of pulling your boat in and out of the water every weekend? Call David Boone at Third Coast Diesels. He'll make sure your truck is not what sinks your next fishing trip. Offering a widespread array of diesel parts and services, call 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com today. Cable here reminding you to check out the Polestar Helion 2.0 Thermal Monocular if you haven't already. It's got all the great features that you've come to expect from Polestar. Internal recording, varied color palette, and it's an essential tool for scouting so that you don't blow animals out of your sets. I use it on all my whitetail hunts and, of course, predator and hog hunting as well. You can find the Helion 2.0 at PulsarNV.com. You can't tell who might be stowed away Shivering there while the boxes sway Who might jump before the light of day You can't tell There's a night train Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for spending a part of your week with me. I do appreciate it as we're still visiting with our good friend, Corey Knowlton. We're going to address some concerns that he sees within the hunting community going on right now in 2021. But before we do that, this segment of the show probably brought to you by Stealth Cam and the Fusion wireless cell camera changing the game that's what the fusion has done more affordable i think you can pick one up for like 160 bucks and data plans start as low as like five dollars so much more affordable than it used to be you can find the fusion at stealthcam.com with that being said Corey, let's go ahead and address some of these concerns that you have from within our own ranks and i don't know if it's the hunting community cannibalizing itself from the inside out 
or if it's something else that has you concerned. But uh, I'll let you expand on that here. Well, I, I don't know that it's necessarily my, my, my biggest, but it is a concern. And, and when I when you said cannibalizing, I can see that happening, but uh-huh. I would say a lot of the people that would be doing it wouldn't would be maybe ignorant of it uh-huh. or they wouldn't know they were doing it. And if they did, they probably wouldn't willingly do it. Right. You know, we all kind of get into it's an age of disinformation and having to wonder if what we're hearing is true. And um, certainly, yeah. yeah and, and, and if you anybody who has an Instagram page or a Facebook page gets friends requests. And how do you know who these people are? You know, us who um, who are, you know, in a sense, talking to people about going on hunts and helping them, you know, I got to look at that every single time and say, is this guy real or is it not? You know, we catch them all the time that aren't, you know, they'll get four or five of us that I ask stupid questions, and you know, it's just not real. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, a little bit of a, 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 you know, not the real issue, but a part of the greater issue. I think the real issue that we need to be concerned with is false flag operations that on larger scales that are representing themselves as being for every guy and every girl out here who wants to hunt and that they have dubious intentions towards us, mm-hmm. it, you know, and, you know, nefarious ideals that they're, they're hiding at least, you know, to us, to them, it could be very altruistic. You know, this is the way we believe in the world, and we don't we don't think that anybody needs a semi-automatic weapon to defend themselves or hunt with or whatever. It can be something like that, or it can be, you know, something like you and I discussed off the air about predators. You know, all of a sudden there's these excuses not to kill predators. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so I think everybody who hunts knows that there's a balance and that now that uh, human beings are a part of this, the difference between you and I cable and a guy on a photo safari or a guy taking pictures of whitetails or whatever is that we are electing to be a part of this world, right? We're electing to go back or, or bring it forward to wherever it is that we're in the cycle of life. And we're happy to go be participants when you go out there as a photo person or whatever, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but you're a voyeur. Mm-hmm. You're watching the world. And and unfortunately, you know, in certain, certain places like Maasai Mara or whatever, those national parks, they get flooded with so many voyeurs that the only impact is, you know, as far as actual on the ground, I'm not talking about the financial impact, is that those animals are changing their lifestyles for it. And I'm not saying that animals don't adapt for hunting, but it's different when you got 160 cars looking at one lion. Mm-hmm. So, so these are these are I I you know you and I are saying we're a part of it. The people that we're gonna that we're gonna acknowledge as a part of it, because they go on TV and shoot something, because they act like they're hunting, you need to find out and do your diligence on who you're giving your allegiance to, and make sure that those people are really good proponents for not only hunting, but for the second amendment and for what we would call the outdoor lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And they're not trying to make it for just a few. They're trying to make it from everybody. And when I mean everybody, I'm not just talking about the guys who are, who are only, uh, you know, are, are limited income, limited budgets. I'm talking about the guy who's got an unlimited budget. 
you know, he, you know. So I'm talking about when I mean everybody, I mean everybody. Mm-hmm. I don't mean only the bow hunters. I don't mean only the gun hunters. I don't mean all this. The 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 uh, you know I said it earlier. The difference between ignorance and apathy. I don't know, and I don't care. Mm. Okay, a lot of us as hunters don't care about how the other guy hunts, which is in a way is great. But when we, you know, or, or where we don't maybe even or know, we never bow hunted, we never gun hunted, we run into these people all the time. You know, it's kind of, they're, they're, they're just basically ignorant to it mm-hmm. because they never did it. A lot of that is uh, determined by, I've, I've figured out over the years, where you were born. Generationally. And, and, and so, like, Texas, we don't have Western big game hunting here, right? We want to go well, shoot up. Well, uh, I mean, you do kind of in the sense of, you know, it's on private land. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah. But by and large, like, you know. So Texas, Texas sends more people west than any other state. I For mean, sure, so many hunters go hunt. Texas sends more people anywhere. It right. used to be Pennsylvania is Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my worldview on hunting is one that's all encompassing because Texas is. While we don't have like you know these vast elk herds like they do out west, we have. You want to go shoot one in a high fence? You can. Uh, and if you want to shoot one free range, you can. If you go buy sure. hunt. Right. We have we have a very. Uh, you know, eclectic mix of wildlife that we can Absolutely. shoot here. Um, and so, you know, I guess I'm just more open-minded to here's, you know, here's how we do it here. That's great. Now I want to go see how they do it over here. And I want to be a part of that culture too. And that's why, and that's maybe why I'm going to Africa. Like I, I want to be a part of that too. I want to experience it all. It was part of the adventure. Some of these guys are so set in their ways that they just shun anything that wasn't what they did when they walked out of their backyard and the trailhead was 20 yards away. And to that end, I can accept that because we always have. To the end, if they're always, they grew up in a different environment than here, and you see what's happening here, or mm-hmm. who's moving here, and, and that a lot of liberal ideals are coming here. And I'm not saying that that's, you know, all in all horrible, but for what the way you and I look at it, think it means one, one thing. More demand less opportunity for everything Mm -hmm. okay and in hunting that means more expense so you have to prepare yourself for that we know i mean we can't be the 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 ones as uh as hunters to say one of our great arguments that we have is what pays stays the sustainable use argument well if it's paying more it's costing more to stay we can cry about it but at least it's staying Mm mm-hmm Okay, but you, there's a, there's a line between what's reasonable and it and it does cannibalize itself, and then the, you have no future because it's it's costed it's priced people out, which is really what happened. Part of African hunting and international hunting got very expensive. Now the whole thing, I can tell you, no matter where what you're dealing with, unless it's the top of the top, you're you're dealing with wonderful hunts that are having a price correction. They really should have had a long time ago. But th- but that's an effect that goes way down the line from the end user, you know, or the the community that benefits, saying, "Well, we're willing to take a little bit less money to keep going because of COVID," or or we're going to start raiding our pantry and eating everything themselves. Mm-hmm. So so it's a it's a dangerous precarious spot we're in right now, and all the I mean the just what I'm saying is, if you're going to give your allegiance to a person, a product or whatever, do your due diligence and make sure their values are matching up to yours. Because right now, Cable, you and I both know, and we may not be able to say it but there's on here, but there's people in this industry who 
are not in it for the same reasons that most of the hunters are in it for. They're in it to destroy it. Well, and I'm not going to say, and I will mention one person because he recently put himself out there with this article he wrote, Ryan Bussey. He's the former chairman of the board for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and he wrote a very uh, anti-Second Amendment. Well, he caveated it with, I own guns, and I like to shoot guns with my sons. And, you know, his Instagram's littered with pictures of him upland hunting in Montana, where he's from. But in his piece, he vilified constitutional carry, and he said that people don't need uh, high-capacity magazines, or really, why would anyone own an AR? Clearly, Texas hunting culture and southern hunting culture is completely lost on him with feral hogs. And uh, the, the other idea of the, just the Second Amendment, if the government has it, then that means I should have the right to, on some level, defend myself too, if I, if I need that to. That was the intention. Exactly. Uh, but he's over there saying we don't, you know, we need to make sure that this bill gets shot down. As a hunter... And as he used to be the VP of Kimber Firearms, they now they wrote a piece that they couldn't get away from that his his uh, opinion fast enough. Like the next day, it was out there, and they're like, he is not he no longer works here, hasn't worked here in a year. Um, so there's people out there that claim to be on our side, and I just don't I don't see it, man. I don't see how you and, could. And either they either they they truly believe you're on your side and they're delusional, mm. or it, it's nefariousness. I mean, ask, and I've had him on the show before, ask a, a, someone who's passionate about predator hunting from Australia. You know what they hunt with? You know what they hunt uh, predators with? Da, 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 da. What? Like over-under shotguns because they yeah. can't have a semi Oh, that's right. Well, maybe the ones I knew did it weren't doing the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like <sighs> here's your double barrel, here's your over-under, let's go shoot some foxes. Like that's, you can't have a semi-automatic shotgun. Or firearm, for that matter. Canadians can't get permits. I mean, they've got to jump through so many hoops to own a, a handgun that it's it's almost not worth it for them. Well, look. And these, I, I'm just saying these people are envious of what we have here, and that should tell you all you need to know. Well, that... You know, I think in a sense, you can conflate hunting and weapons. You can say, here we are. They're They're tied into each other. You know, unless we want to go like the people I hunted with in Papua New Guinea and run around and grab them, you know, drown them. I mean, this is what they're doing because they don't have weapons. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, if they're drowning a deer to do it, it shows you that, you know, they really want to hunt. <laughs> they want to eat it. But if we acknowledge there's a problem, and there is, then we're one step closer to solving it as a community. And, you know, there's the awareness. I guess that's what we're talking about. And, and, and it's more prolific than people may think. And, and this isn't misinformation. It's real. There's mm -hmm. people in the hunting community that are perfect, that are representing themselves and they're not what they're representing. Mm -hmm. You will be able to see the clues, people. Well, from like a company standpoint, Patagonia and, and North Face are two that recently came out and really just took craps all over the outdoor industry. You're pro hunting, pro outdoors, but uh, but you're anti oil and gas when all of your products are made from fossil fuels. I'll deals. never, ever, ever wear that again. I and and frankly, if I should have made some memes, it was about that. But the pr truth is, that's too serious for a meme. Mm -hmm. What that guy said, what they did. It was their their, their VP. I mean, yeah. like. And the ownership, whatever. It's just it, that is, is, is it a good example? 
but they've really never represented themselves as, you know, they're kind of more fishing to an extent, you know, but, but it's closer to all of us than you think. I promise you there's products in your home. There's all of it. It's, it's happening. Yeah. Nefarious. It's a good way to describe it. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that we have really have time to get into today. I think it's been a, a good conversation all over the map, which, uh, is a good thing. Cover a lot of stuff. I appreciate you dropping by the studio. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. Always an interesting conversation when Corey Knowlton drops by. I certainly appreciate him making the trek over to the studio today. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the Patriot Rifle Lineup. They've got basically uh, everything from a 17 HMR all the way up to the 375 Ruger that I'm taking to South Africa. And here's the cool thing. You're not going to break the bank. You're going to get a quality rifle, regardless of which caliber you choose. Even if you want a 6.5 Creedmoor, they've got that too. Uh, but you're going to get a great rifle at a price that won't break the bank. Check it out. It's the Mossberg Patriot, and you can find it at Mossberg.com. Unfortunately, we got to go, got to get out of here. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. I'm a welcome to my den. You've had your last move, your time has come to